0: in the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians is a, it's a unique book in that Paul writes it on his second missionary journey. Uh, he has traveled over and uh, he's been in Philippi where he got arrested and thrown in jail and people got saved there in Philippi. And uh, he ended up getting out of Philippi heading to a, a place called Thessalonica. So in Thessalonica bunch of people got saved church started to grow uh, again he was only there probably for about three weeks he gets booted out actually ends up in jail and gets out of jail goes to a place called Berea uh, and then finally ends up in a place called Corinth and while he's in Corinth he's worried about the people in Thessalonica so he writes a letter back to them and that's the letter that we have that we're going to look at this morning called first Thessalonians the people that the people were doing really well they were encouraging one another they're doing all the things that that, that a group of believers should do but they were worried and they had some concerns and one of the concerns that was happening was rome was about was starting to put more and more pressure on them and rome was starting to persecute christians in fact it's not too long after this a guy by the name of nero is going to come in and he's going to take persecuted christians to a whole new level so as they're struggling with this the Christians have some concerns. One of the concerns is, um, are we ever going to see our, our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ when they die? Uh, and so we talked about that last week, and Paul talked about the idea, no, you need to understand, you'll see them again. Uh, and, and we talked about the importance of that. He's talked about um, the ideas of, that we've been entrusted with the gospel. But that's an incredible thing. And so this morning, um, we're in chapter 5, and the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 deal with the end times. Because, again, because of the persecution, these people are thinking, hey, it's over. It's the end times. And, and and they knew about these concepts called the day of the Lord that we're going to talk about today. And, and they, were, they were all worried about what did that mean for them. So Paul writes this. Now, anytime we talk about the last things, there's a whole bunch of stuff. There's, there's the rapture there's the second coming, there's the tribulation, there's the millennium, there, our millennial kingdom, there's the, the great white throne judgment, there's the judgment seat of Christ, there's the battle of Armageddon, and it's and it's all these pieces you've got to put in order if you want to really get into the Bible study thing. And everybody puts them in different places. So um, last week we spent a little time explaining to you where we put them, okay? You can put them wherever you want, all right? Uh, but What we believe is that the next event on God's timetable, and again, you have to understand, on earth, we think past, present, future. God is eternal. So if you are eternal, there's only present. Okay? There's there's only present because you are. So when we take God's, what God teaches about it, and put it into this past, present, future time where we have to be able to put it in a place, and God doesn't necessarily have to put it in a place. Okay? Time, again, I don't want to get too deep in this, time is an earthly concept. Okay? It's a concept we humans need. But God doesn't, because he's eternal. What we believe is, on the earth tier, the next event, is we would teach that the next event is what's called the rapture. Where God comes back for His children, and that's what we talked about last week. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We believe that's the next event. Some people don't believe in that. You need to know that. Some people don't believe. They believe that Christians will go through the tribulation. We believe that one of the things that God's going to do is God's going to come back for His children before He judges the world, before that seven years of tribulation, okay, uh, now, here's what's, let, let me just give you a couple reasons why I hold to that and why we as a church hold to that. I believe that you see from Genesis to Revelation this principle that God spares his children when he gets ready to judge the world. I believe you see it, for instance, in Noah, in the story of Noah and the flood. What does God do? He says, I'm going to wipe out the whole world, but not your family because you guys are righteous. I'm going to spare you guys. When God gets ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, that's Abraham's argument with him. He says, wait a minute, are you going to try the righteous with the unrighteous? And God says, no, I won't do that. You go find the righteous people, and I'll spare them. And you remember this story. Abraham keeps negotiating with God. He goes, well, how about for 50 righteous? God said, no, I won't do it for 50 righteous. And then it came down to, eventually got down to 10. Uh, and basically, God just said, you go get all the righteous people, and then I'll, then I'll, then I'll judge. You see it in the story of the children of Israel. When you see the plagues in Egypt, the ten plagues on Egypt, it, when you start to study and what you find out is the children of Israel experienced them just the same way Egypt did until, I think it's the fourth plague. From the fourth plague on, it affected Egypt, but not the children of Israel. And you see in the Passover, the ultimate thing with the firstborn, all of the children of Israel who believed and followed God, were spared, and they were delivered out of Egypt. I think you see within Scripture this precedent that when God gets ready to judge, He's not going to judge the righteous in that judgment. He's going to pull them out. So what I would believe, what I believe is going to happen is, rapture's next, seven years' tribulation. Doesn't necessarily have to start the day after. There's a period of seven years of tribulation. God comes back, what I would call the second coming. We are with Him. God sets up a millennial kingdom on this earth for a thousand years where everything is perfect there are there is every I mean sin is judged instantly um you know boom uh you take a life boom you're dead over uh there is I mean absolute perfect the way God wanted it to be Satan's loose for a little season you have the battle of armageddon you have a new heaven and a new earth so you go I don't know where all that fits that's okay you'll you're fine all right uh don't sweat it Ah. Uh, but if you want to get into the Bible state thing, it's fascinating to study. This morning, what we want to look at is chap- the end of chapter 4, he deals with what I believe is the rapture, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the cloud. Now he's going to touch on a little bit of the second coming, that day, or, or some people would even say that this refers to the tribulation time. So let's jump into it, and we'll, we'll follow it and... Believe it or not, this should make sense at the end for you tomorrow and today and this week. So here we go. Chapter 5, here's here's what he said. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren. So, it's important. We're talking to Christians. You have no need that I should write unto you. Paul said, look, you already know about some of this stuff. I I don't really need to go over this with you, but I'm going to do it anyway. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. This old term, day of the Lord, is important. Because to Jews, this was a big deal. It's mentioned about 20 times in the Old Testament. Um, The the phrase, uh, what's the other phrase? The other phrase, last days, mentioned about 14 times. Um, The idea of end times is mentioned over 100 times in the Old Testament. They knew there was coming a day in which God was going to deal with people. God was going to be back in charge again. The enemies of Israel were going to be uh, persecuted and destroyed. Israel was going to come back to Jerusalem. They knew all of this stuff. So Paul says, look, I don't don't really need to go over this with you. You guys know about all this stuff anyway. But notice what he said, And, And he talks about the idea. He said, it's going to come as a thief in the night. For when they say, now we're not talking about believers. We're talking about a different group of people now. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. Paul said, you need to understand that to the world, this is going to come as a shocker. It's going to come in a time when they're not expecting it. It's going to come in time where they think everything's okay, and all of a sudden now, it's not peace and safety. It is now destruction. And then he gives you a couple analogies, and notice what he said. Then sudden destruction comes upon them. Well, I love the analogy as labor pains upon a, a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. It's like it's like the baby's coming, and the mom goes, "You don't want to change my mind. I don't want to do this anymore." Paul said, don't work like that. When the baby comes, the baby's coming. You you don't get a... And he said, it's the same thing. When the day of the Lord comes, when it starts, it's not going to be able... People are not going to be able to go, oh, hey, look, I'm out. Okay, I'll believe everything that I've been told now. It's too late. You can't escape it. That's what he's saying to these people. And he goes on and he said, but you, brethren, are not in darkness. He said, this isn't going to affect you because this day shall should overtake you as a thief it's not going to surprise you it's not going to take you back it's not going to you're sitting there going oh i didn't know you know wow i thought everything in the world was getting better paul said this you're not going to be it's not going to rock your world because you know there's coming a time when god's going to judge this thing but notice what he says and this is really important he says you are not in what's the word Darkness. darkness Now he's going to change this theme. Listen to what he goes on to say, uh, verse uh, 5. Uh, you are all, again, talking to believers, remember we start with brethren, you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. You're not of the night or of the darkness. He makes a contrast here. Often in Scripture, the idea of believers and light are associated together. God and light, God is, you know, they're associated together. Darkness is often associated with sin, Satan, Satan. Um, That aspect of it. And he says, look, let me tell you something about you as a believer. You're of the day. So when does the thief come? When does the thief come? Night. Darkness. 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 Well, wait a minute. If I'm a day person, am I worried about the thief coming at night? I'm a day person. And what he goes on to say. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Paul said, you know what? You need to pay attention to what's going on. You don't have to do it because you're afraid, but you need to pay attention to what's going on. You need to watch and be sober. Um, See that idea of let us not sleep? It's an interesting thing. Remember last week we talked about the idea of those who sleep in Christ? That word, sleep, is peace, restful sleep. The word he's about ready to use is turmoil, toss and turning, can't get to sleep, restless kind of sleep. And notice what he says. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, be serious, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Some of you have this hanging in your, your house, or written on your walls. Faith, hope, love. Here's, here's, here it is. This is what he's talking about. Paul says, look, there are people out there that this is going to take by surprise. They're people of the night, is what he would call them. We're people of the day. And Paul says, look, as people of the day, we need to be serious about what's coming because it is going to affect other people. And he talks about it. So how do we respond? Faith and love and hope. See, I have a hope. You know, here's the thing. If my life ends today, I'm with Christ forever. Not a bad deal. If I'm here, I just get more opportunities to help people come to an understanding of a saving knowledge of Christ. It's a win-win. I have that hope. Do I have to worry about the future and what's going to happen when God... No, no, I don't. I have that kind of confidence, and that's what Paul's trying to tell these people. Look, you don't need to be all bent out of shape about what's going to happen in the future. It's not going to affect you, but it will affect people who you associate with every day. And he goes on, and here's what he says, verse 9. He comes to it, and he said, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. Here's what Paul said, and, and you've got to hang on. I, I hope, I've, tried, I've thought of a hundred ways to try to convey this, and I can't do it well, so I'm just going to give it a stab at it, all right? So follow me. When Jesus came to this earth, Jesus took your sin upon him, right? Everybody follow me so far, right? So God judged all of my sin at the cross, right? So if I have put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what's left for God to judge in my life? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing. Why? Because of the cross. Because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, because my sin was put upon him, because he who knew no sin became sin for me, because I put my faith and trust in him and him alone. God takes me, he takes my sin, puts it on Christ, he takes Christ's righteousness and puts it into my life. Everybody follow me so far? So here's a question. What is there for God to judge? I mean, if the day of the Lord is coming where God's going to make it all right, And God is going to judge sin, and God is going to judge wrong. Here's a question. What is there to be judged in my life? Nothing. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, God did not appoint us to wrath. That was done at the cross. We don't have an appointment to face God's judgment. That was already done. And he goes on to say this. But to obtain salvation to our Lord Jesus Christ, we have been saved from wrath. Because God's wrath on our sin was poured out on Jesus at the cross. So I don't have to face God's wrath anymore. And that's what he's saying. We have, God didn't appoint us to wrath, who died for us. So therefore, whether we wake or sleep, he's talking about whether we're, we're alive or whether we have died in Christ, we're with him. So question then. So why are you worried about the future? It was all taken care of. That's what Paul's saying. And he ends up by saying there, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you're doing. He said, you need to encourage each other because God has taken care of you. And that's a great thing. So when your brothers and sisters are going through tough times, when Rome starts coming in and making it difficult for you, you need to know, look, you're good. Whether you're alive or dead, you're good. It's all going to be okay. It's all going to be fine for you. And Paul reminds them of that. Okay, so let's talk about some things to help us this week. Here we go. First thing, when we talk about the day of the Lord, when we talk about end times, whatever it is, here, here's what you need to understand. God has a line. God has a line. We're in a world which wants to focus on the love of God. And I am all for the love of God. But we need to remember that just as the Bible says God is love, the Bible also says God is holy. We need to remember that God has a line. And you can go from Genesis to Revelation, and you can read story after story after story where God was loving and patient and kind and gracious and merciful, and then God went, now it's time for judgment. 120 years of Noah building an ark. And God said, it's going to start raining today. And everything that's not in the ark is dead. God drew a line, Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, Abraham, I'm going to wipe them out. The sin has become overwhelming. I'm going to wipe them out. And, God, and, and Abraham begs and, and pleads with God, and God says, okay, I'll give you time to go get Lot out. When you really understand the story, you really realize how perverted the city had become. And God said, I'll give you time. And then, as they're walking out, as soon as they get out, God judges. God comes to Egypt, the children of Israel, and he says, I've got a line drawn. I'm going to give Pharaoh time and time again, gave Pharaoh nine choices, nine times that he could have repented. And finally, God said, now it's going to cost him. The one thing that he values more than anything else. God drew a line. God drew a line with the children of Israel. It's fascinating when you read this story. The children of Israel, they come out of Egypt, they gripe and complain, God takes care of them. Gripe and complain, God's good to them. Gripe and complain, God's good to them. Gripe and complain, God's good to them. them. Finally, God says, line, you crossed it, I'm done, I'm going to give everything I promised to you to your children. I've heard you tell me time and time again that I brought you out here to kill you. So you know what? I'm going to give you what you want now. Everyone under the age of 20 is going to die here. Everyone over the age, you guys, the rest of you, will get to come into the land. I'll give it to your children. If you can't value it and appreciate it, I'll give it to your kids. Story of Jonah, Nineveh. Nineveh is an incredibly wicked city. Jonah goes up to preach against it. Nineveh repents. Nineveh changes. Nineveh says, we'll turn back to God. And you know what God says? Okay, then I won't destroy you. Fine. I just wanted you to repent. I wanted to, but here's my line. And if you don't repent, then judgment comes. Make no mistake about it. God's got a line. In your life, you need to know this. If you're his children, think about this for a minute. Those of you who are parents, you'll get this. Didn't you have a line with your kids? Then you have a point at which you go, that's it. That's it. I've had enough. It's going to change, right? Until then, (coughs) hopefully, you were patient, and you tried other options, and you tried to do other things, but you have a line, right? And the line is because behavior is not going to change. I've tried everything else. It's discipline time now. I've got to ground you. Yeah, i got to do a, a timeout until you're 30. I've got, you know, I've got to do something, okay? Because I've got to change the behavior. God's the same way. He's a parent. As a loving parent, he doesn't want to see you go astray and mess up your world. And he will be kind and gracious and merciful and everything else. But he's got a line. At some point, he's going to step in and go, you know, this isn't working. we got to go to plan B. And, and unfortunately, here's the thing. Some of you grew up in a church or you grew up in a religion or you grew up in a denomination where you were taught that God's first thing was to hit you over the head with a two-by-four? You know? So you grew up with this fear of God, unhealthy fear of God, where it's like God's this big, angry baseball player ready to bat you over the head the second you get out of line? And the Bible says... The goodness of God leads to repentance. God's first method is always to be good and kind and gracious and patient and merciful and do all kinds of things, just like we do with our kids. You know, first time a kid does something wrong, you know, I go, hey, look, you know, you can't do that. Let's not do that. That's not, you know, let's. And, and you know how well that works most of the time. Um, you know, you're just wasting error. And then, then you got to get louder, and then you got to get more forceful, and then you got to put consequences with it, and then you got to. You, you do what you can to get their attention. You know, that's why I always tell parents: smartest thing you can do, know your kid's currency. Um, if you have teenagers right now, I can tell you what it probably is, Pokemon Go. we <laughs> were in the hills last this week, and you cannot believe, you cannot believe, how that thing has taken over. Um, you know, now use it to your advantage, okay? Use it to your advantage. <laughs> I gotta say it. Ah, I gotta say it. Um. Josh and Alex started playing it, and, and, and here's what I found out. They would look at us and go, hey, we'll take, we had to take the trash. We were at a cabin, and the, 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 the trash can was up the hill, okay? And so we had, every morning we had to take the trash and take it. They say, hey, we'll take out the trash. And Gene was like, oh, that's so nice of you. And I, whoa, 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 whoa. The only reason they're going up there is because there might be a Pokemon up there. I said, they're not going up to take out the trash. Don't give them credit for doing that good thing. They're chasing a Pokemon. That's what they're doing or whatever it is, a Pikachu, or whatever it was. Um, you know, <clears throat> but anyway, I felt like we had, I felt like we had like seven people on vacation with us, you know, the six of us and, and, and that thing. Uh, I tried to understand it. I'm trying to understand it. I don't, I didn't, I don't, uh, here's all I do know. The good thing about it is, people are exercising. That's what I know about it. The bad thing about it is, you're at Rushmore, and people are doing this. You know, oh, hey, i got to go over here. Anyway, I, I, I sidetracked. Uh, here we go. Um, where was I? Oh, oh, this, huh? What? Currency. currency. There you go. Another currency. Thanks. Wow. I had no idea how I got there. Uh, here we go. Back to it. Parents, you got to know a kid's currency. you got to know what it is that, that motivates them. You know? You've got to know why, because that's, that's the leverage that you have as parents. You know. And it's the same thing, by the way. You're teaching God what your currency is. And just think about this for a minute. If God wants your attention, and you're putting something in front of Him, and He's trying to get your attention, and you continually ignore Him, What's he probably going to use to get your attention? Whatever your currency is. And you need to keep that in mind. You need to keep that in mind. Because that's, God's not doing it to be me. God's doing it because he has a line, and the line is here, and you're here, and he wants you to move back to here. You know? It was like when we were doing the glass blowing. You know, there was big shields in front of us, and the one piece that I was doing, the problem is that piece is about 1,600 degrees, and my, my hand is this far away from it. And she goes, hey, do you want a glove? And I said, I think so. I said, because it's hot, you know? Now, she did not me a glove to be mean or to make me not experience the whole 1,500 degree thing. She knew it because it was safe, and it was like, if it's too close and it's too hot, let's back it up. Instead of here, let's back it up to here. And that's what God's going to do for you. But God has a line. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. The second idea is this. We've got to be sober about life. Bottom line is this thing is coming to an end. The bottom line is everybody that you see eyeball to eyeball this week has a time at which they're going to take their last breath. The bottom line is, the people that we rub shoulders with all week long need hope and confidence that we have in Christ. Because they don't have it. And if they get a diagnosis tomorrow from the doctor, their world falls apart. Because they're scared to die. Death is something that they are so afraid of. Because they don't have hope. They don't have faith. They don't have that love of God in their heart. And we do. And we have an opportunity to share that with them. And I wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes how God feels when when, when we, don't, we don't do that. You know, the close analogy I could think is, you know, with all the storms we've had and stuff like that, what if my wife and I had built a storm shelter, you know, we went the whole prepper thing. You know, we've got like a, storm shelter shelter that will seat, that, seat 50 people. And i got guns in one corner for the zombie apocalypse. And I've got food stashed over here for a year. And I've got water and backup generators and propane and gasoline. I've got everything that I need to be able to live underground for an entire year if I had to. And I've got about 15, 20 people over at my house and we're having dinner one night and all of a sudden my little emergency, what do they, they, they call those things? Huh? Emergency broadcast. Yeah, that, yeah, that emergency broadcast thing that starts beeping real loud and you go over and turn it off and ignore it. Um, you know, got one of those things going off. My phone starts going off and it tells me, hey, you know, tornadoes are headed this way, da-da-da-da-da. And I look at everybody in my house and I go, hey, look, big storm's coming. I, I need you guys to go home. You need to get home fast because it's coming your way. You guys leave my house, and I go down, and I look at my wife, and I say, come on, honey, we're going down to the shelter. And we get in the shelter, and we lock the door, and we're all safe and secure, and storm goes by, and and, and may or may not do damage, I don't know, but my wife and I are safe in the shelter. You go home, and you later find out. I got a shelter that holds 50 people. And I didn't invite anybody in. I didn't tell anybody about it. I didn't sit there and say, hey, look, you, why don't you come on down and wait this out with us? we got plenty of room. I just kept it all to myself. Question for you. What would you think about me at that point? Question. And, and, and if you ask me, say, how could you do that? I said, well, you know, I just thought you might be offended if you found out I was a prepper. You know, I just thought you'd think like, I was crazy for like spending all the money on that stuff. You'd look at me like you are the most selfish person I've ever encountered in my life. You sent me out into a storm and you went down and locked yourself in and watched TV and ate great food. And we were out there wondering if we could even get home. How much different is it when you and I hold the key, the opportunity, the privilege to let someone experience eternity with Christ? But we're afraid to share it because they may think we're goofy. Is it really that much different? Take it one step further. What do you think God in heaven thinks when he sees us not sharing that? I I don't want to beat you up here, but I I want you to understand how much we've been given. And when we don't share it with other people, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, you know, he said it in chapter 2, you've been entrusted with the gospel and let other people know. The last takeaway, I think, for us goes something like this. Be grateful for what you've got. You have a hope that can't be shaken. You have a faith that is sourced in the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the tomb. You have the love of God, which was shown in that he gave his life for you. And it's ironic to me that sometimes we can look at God and say, you don't care. You don't love me. Because if you love me, I wouldn't be going through this. If you love me, I wouldn't be. Do- Ooh, we have been given so, so much. As Paul said, encourage one another. Because I guarantee you, whatever you're going through right now, somebody has it worse, and somebody has it better. And if you're going to play the comparison game and some of you like to go there, I always challenge you to play it both ways. You want to compare yourself to people who have it better off than you? Okay. But you turn the tables and you compare it to people who don't. And you go, "Well, you know, you don't know, you know, they have it, you know, they don't have it bad, you know, they have it bad just because, you know, they're not a hard worker like I am. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You could have been born in a third world country. You could have been born in a situation where, again, I I know this is crude when I say this, but to me this makes the, the, I cannot make it more clear than this. You could have been born in a place where the water you drank was horrible. We flush our toilets with cleaner water than most of the world has access to to drink. We have been given so, so much. We go out and we pick which car we're going to drive. We walked this morning. You picked which clothes you wanted to wear. You're going home today. Not a one of you is sitting here going, Not a one of you has sat through this whole service this morning going, boy, I hope we have enough food to eat today. I'm not sure where I'm going to sleep tonight. I don't know if I will be able to provide food for my family tomorrow. None of us. We've been given so much. And honestly, at times, we can whine and gripe about some of the silliest things It's crazy. We have, again, don't get me started on the problems with our healthcare system, okay? But, it's greater than 90, 95% of the world. And you know what our complaint is? I can't see that doctor for a whole three weeks. And in some places, you can't see a doctor, period. You know, we have we have your doctor's office is more equipped than some hospitals in other parts of the world. And yet we gripe and complain. We've been given so, so much. Be people of gratitude. Be people and that. And Paul says look, you guys are great at encouraging each other and how much you want. And, and when Paul says You have been spared from wrath because you are children of the light and children of the day? Really? Really? We we need to take a step back and look at how much we've been given. So I end this morning with this. Paul reminds us that we'll escape the wrath to come as believers. But he also challenges us to live seriously in a world caught up by trivial things. The world around us needs to see the light of Christ in our lives. We must offer the world the same hope that Jesus showed us so that they may experience the faith, hope, and love that we have found in Christ. Let's share it with them this week. Let's pray. Lord, help us. <clears throat> Lord, we, we could all sit here this morning and give testimony to missed opportunities. Lord, we can all stand here this morning and give testimony testimony to things that we should have done this week but Lord that's the past we can't change it But Lord we can do it differently this week so help us to Lord for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ may we be the light that the world needs to see not because we're better but just simply because we've been given much and Lord for those who may not understand it would you help them to understand that Lord you love them more than anything And that you offer them the same opportunities that you have offered to us. Not because of who we are or what we've done, but because of your love. And Lord, we thank you for that. Help us to live as grateful people this week. And we will give you the honor and the glory and the praise in all we do. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, Let's stand.